host, Riley Bounds, and this is the Solemn Podcast, where we discuss and examine the intersection of the modern renaissances in evangelical literature, philosophy, and spiritual formation. Today, I'm excited to have Alice Freiling on the podcast. Alice Freiling is a spiritual director and author. She and her husband worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for over 50 years. Alice has also been actively involved in church ministry and teaching workshops on the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs Temperament Inventory. Her books on relationships, spiritual formation, and spiritual direction have sold over half a million copies and are published in over 10 languages. She and her husband, Bob, are parents of two daughters and grandparents of two grandsons and two granddaughters. They live in Monument, Colorado. Learn more about Alice Freiling at www.alicefreiling.com. That's www.alicefreiling.com. More information will be given in the show notes, including a link to Aging Faithfully on Amazon. Aging Faithfully is currently discounted at 30% for pre-orders. So Alice, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Riley. All right. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, I, I'm 77 years old, so you probably don't want to know everything I could tell you about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'll limit it. Um, I grew up in um, what I would now call a church-going home, but really mm-hmm. a non-religious home. And I became a Christian in high school. I didn't really know what that meant, but I asked Jesus into my heart, and that was the beginning of a significant new life for me. Then after high school, I was involved as a student with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Um, went to the University of Maryland, and when I graduated, I had a degree to teach high school English, and I thought, well, I'll work with college students first, and then when I get old, I can teach English, but I haven't taught English yet, so I don't know what that says. (laughs) Um, after, After college, I went on staff with InterVarsity, and I met Bob there. We've been married 50 years. Um, and as I, thinking about these last few years, there are sort of some chapters of my life that stand out. Early on, <clears throat> I struggled with what I now know was chronic depression. Um, but at the mm-hmm. time, depression wasn't a popular topic. Prozac hadn't been invented. Um, I'm I eventually I did find a counselor who was very helpful, but even counseling wasn't common at that time. So that lasted pretty much from late high school into my late thirties. And then um, through the love of my family, counseling, God's grace, I was definitely healed of the depression. I would say depression is always crouching at my door, but it doesn't get in very often anymore. Um, And I moved from, my life of depression to being a pretty driven person. I was very involved with ministry and university and our church, had two daughters. um, And I was just driven to be a good person and to serve God. And that happened, but um, I don't look back on the drivenness is a whole lot better than my depression actually. Um, And in midlife, I became acquainted with the Enneagram And that helped me a lot in terms of um, encouraging me to be self-aware and to be honest about my journey. 
Mm-hmm. And then in my late 50s, I got involved with spiritual direction, which I had never heard of. I didn't even like the term. I thought it meant one person directing another person. And I found out it's much more being a companion to another person. So that really changed my life for the second half of my life, I would say. And I brought a lot of my spiritual direction perspective into this season of aging. Mm. So that's that's the significantly cliff notes of my life. <laughs> right. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about just what aging faithfully is about? Um, the, the seeds of aging faithfully um, really were planted, I think, in my life in my late 50s. I was looking for, um, I, I, could, I knew I was, when you, when you, when you get to 60, you, you start saying, okay, this is, this is really happening. Um, mm. It's the beginning of the season of aging, I think, but I wanted to get ready for that. And so I went to the library and tried to find books. That's what I did when I became a parent. That's my go-to um, place for learning about the next season of life. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't find any books. Most of them were about retirement and financial planning and a lot of wonderful memoirs. So, I, I mean, I really did read some good books, but there was something deep inside me that I wanted to know what's going to happen to my soul and what mm-hmm. are the... Um, what can I expect in terms of my spiritual journey? It was deep, a deeply personal question. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in my early 70s, I still hadn't found the book I was looking for. And I was sort of musing on that one morning. And it, it felt like musing out of communion with God. I just had this mm-hmm. sense that God was saying to me, you know, you have everything you need inside of you. So just write the book. (laughs) So then I started outlining a book and it ended up um, being Aging Faithfully, um, God's Invitations as We Age. Um, What surprised me then after I got into it, and I've been talking with people, of course, about it as I've written, and it actually seems to strike a chord with younger people too. I mean, I was thinking I was writing for people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And what I'm finding is people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are asking some of these questions. And I think looking ahead, it helps younger people, I mean, describing what's ahead, helps younger people notice how God is working in their lives, whatever season they're in. And that's Mm -hmm. key. Growing older is noticing how God is at work in us. Um, and then also, a lot of midlife people want to learn how to companion their parents mm-hmm. as they age. And I'm hearing a lot of that too. That, and that's what I wanted for the book. I wanted a book to be able to companion, be a companion to older people and be a companion to younger people who love their older people in their lives. Right. Yeah. Um... I found that to me, it, it really helped me to think about like how God is, I mean, with me, even when I age or in, di- in different, uh, different parts of my life. Um, I, I think we have this notion that like, uh, you know, as we get older, God just kind of stops, you know, he's just, he's kind of just not around. 
Well, anymore. I've done my work. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it, like, like we can't, we can't change. And so everything is just a foregone conclusion. And so I, that, that the book really spoke to me in that like God is still with us and we're still changing, you know, even, even as we, as we grow older. So. And even, I mean, we do change for sure. I mean, that's partly what my book is about, but I also think as I, Think about younger people reading it it's important to remember that we change but we're still the same people mm-hmm. and so the more we can notice how god intersects our life and how we interact with god i mean those things will all be true um they'll be better as you get older but <laughs> we mm-hmm. can start young to, to paying attention to our spiritual journey in this way right right yeah well, as I read the book, Aging Faithfully, it, it, it struck me as kind of a theology of aging and a theology of change. So am I, am I on the right track there? Well, I love your, your term because I think it says a lot about truth and life. I mean, I am not a theologian, clearly not a theologian. And yet I also do believe that um, all of us have a personal theology in our relationship with God, whether we know it or not. And so, yes, I think it, writing the book helped me come to grips with my theology of aging. Um, and especially, I like you're saying a theology of change because that was, that was really important to me. Um, one of the things that I was taken with during the time I wrote the book was Peter's um, vision or dream up on the housetop. And in the vision, um, a sheet came down, was lowered down with all these animals that in his religious tradition, he wasn't supposed to eat. And God said, you know, Peter, eat these. And Peter said, oh, no, Lord, I have never done that. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's sort of an odd thing to say. Oh, no, Lord, (laughs) I have never done that. But I think that's that kind of describes some of my experiences in aging because I'm the same person with the same gifts, but sometimes I find myself saying, oh Lord, I've never done that or not done that. Mm -hmm. And I wanna be tender toward God as he changes the same me into a new me. Right. I think that that's, um, that's that's kind of an assumption of of our culture is that we don't, we just kind of get set in our ways. We don't change. So that kind of segues into the next question. Um, is change really possible for us or is it just something really in theory? Oh, it's absolutely possible for us. I mean, I, well, I would be depressed to think that I was stuck with where I used to be or even where I was yesterday in some ways. Um, So even though, there are, I mean, I'm pretty melancholic, so I'm not going to deny the changes of aging. There's a lot about it that I don't like, and there's a lot that's hard to give up with, give, give it up. But mm-hmm. I'm excited that in this season of life, my relationship with God is more vibrant than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. We moved from um, Chicago to Colorado about three and a half years ago. And I remember 
I guess it was partly because just thinking of the move and being in a different place. But I remember thinking about um, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And mm -hmm. I just thought, God, that's all I really want is to know that you are with me. And in my younger years, God was, I was, I was pretty good with God being out there telling me what to do. And this was, this was a change for me to think God is still out there. He's still in control of the world, but he lives in me. And I didn't know, I remember when I read it that morning, I read it, I just thought, wasn't a new thought, but I just thought I have so far to go in that. And now that I'm, you know, five years older or so, and, you know, well into the senior season, um, that's probably what I'm most excited about, that God is with me. And my relationship with God is, um, it's more personal than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel that we've been married 50 years, and I'm thankful for that. And I know Bob better than I mean, I didn't even know who I was marrying. You know, I, just, <laughs> I, I learned a lot about him. So it, it parallels that, I think, in my aging experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do, do you think that we get to know God better as we age? Or is it uh, just that we get to know different things about God in a way, if that makes any sense? Um, that's a good question. Yes, both. <laughs> um, for me, well, one of the one of the ways I'm noticing my view of God and my view of my faith is changing. Um, it, I use the words. I didn't use these in the book. I, a lot, I learned a lot of things after I wrote the book. So now you're giving me a chance to say, <laughs> yeah. oh, by the way, I would have said this. Um, I think as when we're younger, I would describe our spirituality as probably a little more transactional. You know, if I'm yeah. a good person. Um, God will be pleased with me if I pray in just the right way. And, you know, does that mean I pray in silence or I pray with words? I pray with other people or I pray alone. But at various seasons of life, if I pray in just the right way then or use the right words, then God will answer me. Mm -hmm. And so it's very transactional. And then when we get older, we can't hold up our end of the transaction as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I can't do all the things that I used to do for God to please him. And I also am experiencing some things that I think when I was younger, I would have thought would really disappoint God. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that I, I don't use 24 hours a day for ministry. I mean, I can't anymore. I can't even, <laughs> let's go with two or three. Um, so I've come to embrace a more transformational spirituality so in the mm -hmm. morning i mean well one thing sleep is a big thing for older people either not getting it or not being able to wake up when they do get it so in the mornings when when i'm really groggy and there's a lot to, going on there's some mornings i just sit with god and all i the only thing i can pray is um lord help me i just i don't know that i can do today mm -hmm. and there's always a sense of that's okay i am with you do mm. what you can so that's huge if you had told me when i was 50 that i'd be saying this i would say who are you talking about <laughs> so i've changed yes mm. yeah i like that well 
Um, a term that keeps coming up in the book is liminal space. Um, so why don't you tell us what liminal space is and is it found in the Bible? Yeah, I love that word. That was one of the fun things about writing the book. I could use it as often as I wanted to. <laughs> liminal space, I would say, is the place, uh, is it, what life will be like between who we are now and what life is like now and who we are becoming. Um, so it's, it's an in-between space and it's an unknown space. And for some people that might be really exciting. For me, it feels a little bit scary. And I didn't follow through thinking this through more, but I, I'd almost say that the whole Bible is about liminal space. <laughs> you know, all that we learn about our spiritual life is beyond what we know now. Um, and the place where I saw it the most practically in scripture was in Exodus with the Israelites, uh, Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves for decades. And mm -hmm. their response was, you know, why did you take us out of Egypt just to have us die in the desert? I mean, they weren't real happy with the little space. <laughs> and there's some days, you know, I think for an older person, it's not unusual to say, you know, why are you letting me be sick or be tired or lose loved ones, it would have been better if I died young. And that's, I mean, that's a pretty serious reflection of self-awareness. But I have to say there are some days it feels like that. Um, so yes, liminal space is scary. I definitely think it's in scripture. And I think the season of aging is liminal space. Mm -hmm. Well, you also mentioned that God invites us to flourish in our old age. So, you know, we throw, we throw around terms like flourishing and stuff like that. And I'm not really sure that we, we know what they mean sometimes. So why don't you tell us exactly what is flourishing and what would it look like in old age uh, anyway? Yeah, the first time, I mean, it was several years ago where someone asked me to write an article on flourishing. And I said, flourishing? What? Yeah. I, the word hadn't become popular yet. So right. I, I can't speak to, you know, definitively about what it means in our culture, but I can tell you what it means to me, um, that to flourish is to continue to grow um, in really positive ways. I mean, I'm a gardener, and so I can tell, I mean, I would use that term for a plant, you know, you know, oh, my tomatoes are flourishing this year. And it's because mm. the environment and, you know, my careful attention, of course, is helping them flourish. Um, when I was in college, I'm not sure I can come up with this. Um, I'm not sure I can quote the Psalm exactly, but it's Psalm 92. And it, they, the Psalmist says that, let's say those who grow old faithfully um, will be like trees and the sap is still running. And I just thought that was so funny because I, I mean, I remember thinking, well, yeah, old people are really saps. But what I think now is that it, it's a promise from scripture that as we grow spiritually in our old age, we do flourish. The, the life-giving sap that's in a plant or in a tree and from God is still there. Mm -hmm. So we become more of who we, who we were I mean, if you think about plant flourishing, it becomes more of the same plant. So that would probably describe a little bit of what I think about what flourishing means in old age. Is that what flourishing means to someone in your generation? Well, I, I, 
<laughs> I, re- I really can't speak to what a millennial would think of what flourishing is. I know that, um, you know, with my philosophical background, that, that pretty well gets at it. I, I, I'm, I approach it from a eudaimonistic perspective, and I think that flourishing is um, basically what you said about fulfilling one's nature, and I think that our natures are uh, to be in, com- in communion with God. So uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Um, now you write, and I, I love this passage, uh, God calls us to let go of our need for productivity and embrace the gift of fruitfulness so that we might be transformed in this final season of life. Um, and I, I hear this all the time from um, people as they age that because they can't be productive anymore, they can't do the same mm-hmm. things as they used to, then, I mean, they would, they would honestly just rather die. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the difference between productivity and fruitfulness? Because I think we sometimes get the two uh, mixed up. Yeah, I was, I got an email from someone the other day who um, was talking about um, sending her parents an article that I had written that they happened to come across. And she said, both my parents are Marthas, as it like with Jesus with Mary and Martha. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. I guess I should explain that. But um, they both were people who were acted like Martha in that story. And whether you're old or young, sometimes the idea of Mary, I mean, you know, I I read that passage with Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, and I thought, well, somebody has to get dinner on the table. And that's true. And in our younger life, it's probably more appropriate to, I I don't know if I agree with myself about this, I was going to say it's more appropriate to be productive. It's, it's our younger, our, our younger efforts at productivity were important. And we needed to do those. And we needed to do them in ways that express fruitfulness. But as we get older, um, in retirement, there aren't the same opportunities. Maybe somebody else is being productive doing the job that we used to do very well. Um, And I think God invites us to focus on fruitfulness. Um, And that does mean letting go of the value we place on productivity, certainly. Um, But especially focusing on fruitfulness. Um, I think of well, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Um, and I always think I sort of go with love, joy, and peace. If I could see those three in my life, that would be great. <laughs> um, so and I think God invites us in this season of life to focus, for instance, on being loving hmm. or being peaceful. I mean, one of the things grandparents often say is that they just sit peacefully and watch their families and that peace spills over to their families. So that's, um, that's a wonderful thing. If I can up the ante a little bit about what scripture says about this, there's a verse in Colossians that says, um, we make up what is missing in the afflictions of Christ. And when I first read that, I thought, whoa, that is heresy. If I ever heard it, <laughs> it happened to be in the Bible. Right. And now I'm noticing that when I sit and listen to my grandchildren, that I happen to be somebody who likes to listen to people's stories. That's just what I like to do. So when I listen to my grandchildren, I really do think they feel loved. And Jesus isn't here in the flesh to sit and listen to them. 
So I am. I mean, Jesus said, you'll do more than I do. And I thought, well, he probably doesn't know me very well. But I, I am enfleshing the spirit of God in a loving way as I sit and listen to my grandchildren. And I love having the freedom to do that, which I couldn't have done when I was busy in my 50s or 40s or 50s. So it's a privilege. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so again, I guess this ties back into liminal space like we were talking before. But you write that uh, Jesus invites us to be born again in every season of life, perhaps especially in our senior years. So, uh, I mean, th this might seem like Christianity 101, but again, I think we do need to define terms. Um, what does it really mean to be born again? And what does it mean to be born again in every season of our lives? Yeah, I was a little nervous about writing that passage, but I liked the idea so much I couldn't let go of it. So, because I, I mean, we do use the term born again as a, often many people use the word born again as a starting point in their Christian life. And, and I have, I mean, in my life, but it, it clearly was an image that Jesus was using. I love images and I use images a lot in my book. That's just something that works for me. And this mm -hmm. was an image because even Nicodemus said, oh, so I'm supposed to go back in my mother's womb and be born again. I mean, that wasn't what Jesus meant. Jesus was using an image and it's a great mm -hmm. image. Certainly at the beginning of our spiritual journey, it's an image of a very significant change of direction and a focus and it's a, good, it's a good image to describe the beginning of our spiritual journey, even our spiritual life. But then babies grow up, you know, they, they're born and need 100% care, and then they learn to walk, and the next thing you know, they go off to college, and then they get married and have babies. And so our lives change. And I, it's a wonderful image for me as the seasons of my life have changed. I've had to learn again um, things that I learned before. I mean, I'm, I read scripture a little differently now. I've been born again in that area. Um, I've been born again in my view of myself because I was so tied into what I could accomplish. So it's a, it's a very powerful image. So part of all this is listening for the Holy Spirit. Um, how do we listen better for him? And how do we recognize his voice? That, I love that question. Um, that was such a significant milestone for me in my own journey. And it was probably in my 50s where very gently I felt God was inviting me to listen more closely to the inner witness of the Spirit. And this, again, goes back to the, you know, God being out there or God being within, and God is both. But as I thought about what does this mean for me to listen to the inner witness of the Spirit, it's a little scary because I didn't really trust myself. I mean, what if I, you know, come up with something really weird and it's not the inner witness of the Spirit? Um, so it was experimental for me at first, and that was listening to the desires of my heart. That was a little scary. But that's what, you know, the psalm says, God will give us the desires of our heart, which I think means he'll put the desires there and, and he'll fulfill them. It doesn't mean I get everything we want, everything I want. Um, 
the, what helped me the most was experimenting with listening to the inner witness of the spirit and then comparing it to what scripture said. If I have a you know, plumb line or something that is consistently important to me, it is scripture. Um, and when I was younger, I did mammoth Bible studies, reading a whole book at a time, getting out my commentaries, looking at what other people said, um, reading through the Bible in a year, which was very helpful. I mean, all of those things were very, very helpful. And as I've gotten older, the way I listen to the Spirit through Scripture has changed. I do um, pretty much one or two verses a day that I just sit in quiet and notice what God brings to mind, or I think about Scripture and how it might apply to what's going on in my life right now. And there's a synergy, a fit that, yes. This is the word of the Lord to me. This is what I need to hear today. And I never, I mean, I, I think I would have thought, well, a verse a day, that doesn't really count. That would not have fit in with my transactional view of spirituality. You need at least 10 or a chapter. But now it's, it's so vivid to me. Um, let me tell you something. Let me give you one of my verses um, recently. This is, it's probably two verses, but it's from a parable. And okay, here's what Jesus said. This is what came to mind. And I thought about this and I looked it up and I thought, yes, this really applies right now. Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows and he has no idea how it happens. And I actually remember reading that in college, and it meant something significant to me, to me then. I mean, it was learning to trust God some more. But when I read that last week, I thought, wow, that is a good parable for people who are getting older. They mm. scatter seed, and then they go to bed. That's a good idea. That's the first thing <laughs> they do. And then they forget about it. Um, and that's, you know, I forget about a lot of things I don't want to forget about, but this is something God invites me to forget about. And then the seed sprouts in my life or in someone else's life, and I don't know how it happened. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very comforting reminder that this, our lives are about God giving growth and not about what we do. And then he invites us to go to bed and forget about it. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's good. <laughs> All right, yeah. So that's the inner, the, the spirit, the inner witness of the spirit to me that day was just forget about it, Alice. I got it. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, that, that's very helpful because even, um, even younger people, we, we struggle to, um, to work that out. So that's very helpful. Um, what does it mean to grieve our losses as we age? One of the things I notice, I mean, I think that's an important point that we do need to grieve our losses. And one of the things I noticed with my friends who are okay with getting older and my friends who are resistant to getting older, the, those that are resistant to getting older are often um, in denial. I mean, like, I, <laughs> I have talked with people who, for instance, uh, let's say, used to be on um, a church board, and they're just 
frustrated and disgusted that the people on the board now aren't doing a good, as good a job as they used to do. And I'm thinking maybe God is inviting them to embrace the fact that it's sad for them not to be on the board anymore. And they miss these leadership opportunities. But anything we grieve is something we, when we grieve it, it's because we don't think we're ever going to get it back. So grief is response to self-awareness and a reality check. Hmm. And I think we just allow ourselves to be sad about it. Um, we allow ourselves to talk about it. It helps to talk about our grief. I mean, that, mm -hmm. I, because I am fairly melancholic and I'm a little stubborn about talking about the things I don't like about life. So, you know, I'll talk about those things over coffee and that's not necessarily a popular conversation, but it helps me if, I, if I'm talking with somebody who will listen well it helps mm. me. That's one way I agree is to talk about it. Mm. Right. That, that is the curse of introverts is we always want to go to the, uh, the deeper subjects uh, yes. right, right off the bat, you know, <laughs> right. right. I am Small an talk, introvert. Not for that's us. for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, well, you often speak in the book about the false self and how it's bound up with pride over our gifts. Um, would you mind unpacking that a bit for us and telling us how it might hinder us in our flourishing as we age? The idea of false self and true self has just been so freeing for younger people and older people. I think maybe, you know, it's, that's one thing younger people can do early on is to begin to recognize their false self. The false yeah. self is the, it's the person we wish we were and the person we think we should be, but we can't quite pull it off. Mm -hmm. um, it's the ego-driven self wanting to impress people with our marvelous gifts. Um, and the false self actually gets a lot accomplished. Paul calls, uh, Paul says that um, the Satan masquer masquerades as an angel of light. And so the self, false self looks really good. Um, but the true self is the person that, first of all, that God made us to be, it's who we are truly gifted to be and not just who we wish we were. And part of the problem is that the false self grows old with us, takes on a little new persona probably, um, but it's very hard to let go of the ways we used to impress people or mm -hmm. what our ego is saying you need to do. It's actually, you know what it is? It's like learning a new language. Jesus mm -hmm. said, um, Satan is the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. And I think the language of the false self is, is in part our native language. And then as we grow older, we learn to translate that into the language of God and of God's love. Hmm. Um, just offhand, do you, do you think that the false self is necessary to an extent, or at least when, when we're young? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I assume it is necessary. I mean, it's effective. Is it necessary? I don't know. It's effective. And mm. then, of course, as we're young, we're a little experimental. So, I mean, I, and even when we're older, I remember when I became a spiritual director, and then people thought because I was a spiritual director, I could lead these silent retreats and that I was, you know, really wise and holy and knew what God was doing. And, you know, those are all good things, 
But when I would lead retreats, I felt a little bit like I was faking it because mm. I had never done this before. And mm. now when I, well, now at my age now, I don't lead very many retreats. But as I got older and used to lead retreats, I had much more of a sense of, you know, God is going to work. I don't know what I'm doing, but God is going to work and that's okay. So I wouldn't pick it apart too much. I mean, the false self wouldn't want to be um, called a false self either. So I, mm -hmm. I think we can pick it, pick it out of its meaning if we go too far on that. Right. Well, in the end, I mean, why do you think that God is inviting us to let go of certain things as we age in the first place? Because there's something better, much, much better mm -hmm. um, as we age. I mean, we, I, I'm still stumbling through old age, but we do stumble into old age. And Jesus said, um, you're blessed when you've lost it all. The kingdom of heaven is there for the finding. Mm -hmm. So I think God invites us to let go of the things. We let go of the things we don't have the opportunity to do. And we let go of the things that, we don't have the energy to do. And I really do think that letting go then is a gift from God um, mm -hmm. because he replaces it, at least in my life and in talking with others, with things that are even better. Um, I mean, I am an introvert. So for me to say it's better to be quiet may not sound like such a gift to someone who's an extrovert. So you'd have to talk to somebody else about what the gift is for those people. Um, but I, I, God wouldn't allow us to age if there weren't a purpose for it. Mm. And that's what I tried to do in the book. I tried to look for what might be some of the purposes of, this, of these losses. And mm. I think what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is there for the finding. And then he said, that's why I like that passage. Then he said, and the kingdom of heaven is like going to bed. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, there's another, um, another passage that I really love about uh, the discipline of irresponsibility and aging faithfully. So why don't you tell us uh, what the discipline of irresponsibility is? Well, I made it up, so I do have to tell yeah. you what it is. <laughs> right. I, when I was first thinking about this and mentioned it to a couple of people, they kind of looked shocked. <laughs> but I, I think I made it up with the guidance of the Holy Spirit after we moved to Chicago. And I mean, I moved from Chicago to Colorado, and we live five minutes from my two granddaughters and my daughter and her family. Um, and we started at a new church and I was in my early seventies and I, I thought, you know, I can't do all of this. I can't engage in a new church. I mean, they don't even know how wonderful I am. So I have to prove that to begin with. And they weren't asking me to do anything, but if they did, I didn't have enough energy to do it anyway. And they were, I mean, it's a wonderful church. So that was good. Um, but it was, this is what was going on inside of me that I was all of a sudden responsible to impress people, to let them know what my gifts were, to fix problems. I mean, when you live just near your, your adult children, you, there are lots of problems you can fix. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I would just feel like I just can't do it all. And I know I remember saying that when I was in my 40s. 
So this is my stuff. I'm sure it's not everybody's stuff, but my stuff. Um, and I just thought I need to practice the discipline of irresponsibility. And that meant if somebody asked me to do something and I just didn't have the energy or I knew I wouldn't have the energy because it was like late at night, for instance, I just needed to be irresponsible. <laughs> and mm -hmm. for me, if that happened during the day, the discipline of irresponsibility meant lying down on the sofa and reading a book, a novel, actually, mm -hmm. I have to tell you the truth. I mean, if it had been a, if it had been Christian theology, it might've been okay, but I, you know, I do, I lie down on the sofa and I read a novel and that sort of, there's something inside that my sense of responsibility seems to drain out of me. And then I was afraid I'd become a couch potato, but I didn't because after a little while lying on the sofa, I can get up and I have more energy to do what I think is the good works that God has prepared beforehand for me to do. And mm -hmm. so if I'm doing something I think I'm responsible for that I'm not really responsible for, then I'm not following God's leading. Right. And so it's a, it's a fine line for me to walk that, you know, walk that space. It takes a lot of discernment. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm erring. If, if I'm erring, I'm erring more on the other side now. And that's been good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really love that. And uh, even as someone who is, who's younger, I, uh, I think it would be good, good for us to implement that, you know, as, as we go along. I remember talking with actually my counselor about it. So it must have been when I was in my 30s or the most early 40s. And, you know, I was telling him all the things I had to do. And I just didn't have I didn't have the time then. Now I would say I don't have the energy. And he looked at me and he said, um, why do you need to do all of that? And I said, because God wants me to do it all. And he practically shouted at me and he said, Alice, God doesn't want you to do it all. So learning that discipline has been a lifelong experience for me. I just didn't put words on it until recently. Right, right. It's, uh, it, it reminds me a lot of the spiritual discipline of rest. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. You, 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 did you take any inspiration from that? Yeah, oh, and, and Sabbath rest. I mean, that's God's example. Uh -huh. So apparently the word for Sabbath um, means wasting time. Hmm. And I thought, whoa, that's pushing the envelope <laughs> a little bit farther than I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's odd how the Bible does that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, how can we be deeply at peace as we age? I think peace is something that grows. Um, and as I've been musing on this in my own life, what I keep coming up with is self-awareness um, and the courage to embrace who we really are. I mean, the truth, the truth of who we are as older people um, the other thing that's just is a huge gift of getting older, we aren't as busy. And so we have time to be still. I mean, I think of, in all honesty, I read, what is it, Psalm, is that Psalm 62? Be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is probably my deprivation or something, but I thought, be still and know that I am God. Oh, there's something else I have to do. 
And now it seems so invitational mm. that I can actually sit and be still. And in the process of the stillness, I remember that God is God. Um, and that brings me peace. This really, this always surprises me because I don't see myself as a highly peaceful person. Mm. But there's some days where I just, I just think this is amazing. I am at peace. I mean, there's some days when I'm not. I don't mean that this is every day. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is something to foster as opposed to you just kind of arrive there like some nirvana at the end of your life or something like that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah something you cultivate. Um, well, as we close, Alice, I did have a couple of uh, more general questions for you. Um, First, how can people deal with the fears that they face as they age? Well, I, I, I've had to own up to my own fears um, and to say I really, I really am, a, to say I am afraid in God's presence. And sometimes occasionally I can do that with someone I really trust, loves me. Um, that that embracing that and embracing the truth of that is certainly where we need to begin. Um, and I actually think that all of this has been going on with COVID in recent years is kind of like a parable of dealing with fear. I mean, mm. we've lost our, we've lost the illusion we had that life is predictable and that we are entitled to certain things. And so there's something about the last two or three years, I think that um, may help us spiritually. I would never have chosen the pandemic. I don't mean that, but again, God's gift in even suffering or the losses. Um, so embracing that I cannot predict life. Um, I am not entitled to everything that I used to be entitled to. That helps me with my fears because underneath my fears are that I'm not gonna get all I want. Life isn't gonna turn out the way I want it to be. What if I lose something that's really, I don't think I can lose? And my prayer, the way I prayed recently, um, I, I don't pray making a lot of suggestions to God because that didn't work. That was part of my transactional life. Um, <laughs> And the prayer that I find myself praying in light of my fears that bad things might happen, I just I think of Ezekiel talking with God, and God said, Oh, son of man, can these dead bones rise again? And Ezekiel said, Oh God, you know. And so that's often my prayer. I I get all muddled up in what I'm afraid of, and I just think, oh Lord, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to a certain uh, lack of trust that we have with God sometimes when we oh, don't. Yes, when we don't pray that prayer. Yes. Uh, I, I know that, and I'll I'll, I'll admit that um, I want to have such control over my life that I, I pray for very specific things, so that there's absolutely no wiggle, wiggle room for God to, you know, work or show me something new. I mean, I just want what I want and. You know, I think I'm smart enough to to know how my future should should pan out, but I think that that um, that does tie up with pride. Uh, and 
it sounds it, it that seems like a good remedy that you've given us to uh, to combat that. And finally, Alice, um, just what would you say to people young and old, especially right now during the pandemic, who are afraid to die? Ooh, that's a big, big, big question. Um, and what would I say to people who are afraid to die? I wouldn't try to talk them out of their fears. I mean, die, talk about liminal space. Dying is um, liminal space and no one has, except for Jesus, no one has died and come back to tell us what to expect. Um, I would encourage them to talk about it. Death is something that, I mean, people would rather talk about sexual dysfunction than death. I mean, that's just, yeah. you know, or horrible sins or something like that. But to talk about death puts us in a very vulnerable or it exposes our vulnerability um, and our being out of control. So Jesus talked about his death. And when Peter tried to stop him, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. So I think I would, in, if I were a spiritual director talking with someone, I would invite that person to talk with me about their fears. And even during COVID, um, you know, at the beginning when we felt like all the germs were just running around the world, wait, looking for somebody to attack. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't, I talked with my family, but um, mostly I talked with God. I just said, God, I'm just really afraid. Mm. Amen. Mm. I mean, I don't, that, that's the place where, well, I, I, you pray as you can and not as you can't. I mean, that's what they say. So sometimes mm. I do ask God, please take away this fear. Um, and sometimes I just share the fear with God. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. So scripture speaks back to me about fear. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, and uh, just thank you for being on today. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I uh, wish you all the best with the book. Um, and again, that's Aging Faithfully. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon and is at a discounted rate of 30%. So, thank you, Riley. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank, thank you. Bye.